turn, if you would, this morning to probably one of your favorite portions of Scripture, one that you're very familiar with. That'd be in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 11. I probably don't have to tell you where the message is headed now that you know the passage. But Leviticus chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be in your house today. Lord, we're thankful for your provision. We're thankful, Lord, for your, uh, your ability to do so and your willingness to do so. We're thankful, Lord, for the grace that we were able to sing about just a moment ago as well. God, I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word this morning, that you'd help it to, uh, to, to confront us where we need to be confronted, to help us where we need to be helped. And God, that uh, we'd leave here today a little bit closer in our walk with you because of the time together. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we continued this study of who is God, and I tried to direct our attention to the story of Adam and Eve and how God gave specific instruction on what trees they could eat from and what tree they had to avoid. We know that it was very soon after that that uh, Satan came and tempted Eve, and then Eve was deceived and then led Adam into the same kind of sin uh, that she had just been guilty of. And so we watched as God could have come down very hard on Adam and Eve. He could have uh, judged them in a way that was very harsh, that was very severe. And yet what Adam and Eve received in that moment, even in the midst of some punishment, they received the mercy of God. We then looked at chapter 4 and watched as Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy as it related to the offerings that were uh, presented to the Lord. And we know that though Cain was deservant of much more than what he was given by way of punishment, he too was a recipient of mercy. And we made our way through several stories and different ideas and thoughts. And over and over again, what we see in the scripture is that God is a God of mercy. And we are thankful, at least we ought to be thankful, that God continues to be a God of mercy. Because when you think about what we are guilty of, when you think about what we have committed in our lifetimes as unbelievers and even as believers, we know that we deserve so much more than what we've been the recipient of by way of punishment, by way of discipline, by way of chastisement. So we ought to rejoice and we need to be mindful of the fact that God is a merciful God. That is good, good news. Tonight, or this morning, I'm going to begin with a thought that is true of myself. I would suspect it is true of some of you, maybe not all of you. But I want to begin by saying this about myself, that there are times that I hear things, and though I understand what's being said, I don't really know how to process it because my mind cannot really understand it. Would you say that that's something that would be true of you sometimes at least? I'll, I'll illustrate it for those of you who may not know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not very good when it comes to science, but every once in a while I will hear facts about science or scientific things, and I hear it and I am amazed at it, and yet I really can't understand it or process it in the way that it probably should be processed. Just to illustrate what I'm talking about in relation to that. Some of you have probably heard this before, but the sun is somewhat larger than the earth. You knew that, right? So I, I did some research on this, and again, some of you have probably heard this, but I, I, I tried to figure out, and, and I wanted to know, if you were to fill up the sun with earths, how many earths would it take to fill up the sun? So in doing some research, here's what I found, and you would find this to be true as well, is that it would take 1.3 million earths to fill up the sun. 
Now, friends, I can hear it. I can understand the words 1.3 million. But to say that it would take 1.3 million earths that we live on, it would take that many earths to fill up the sun, I hear it. But if you think I really understand that and process that in the way that I ought, I don't because my mind cannot think that way. Every once in a while I hear about people's wealth and I hear it, but I can't really process it. The other day I was watching a person interviewed who is a multi-billionaire and they just mentioned the home that they lived in and they gave an aerial shot of it and it was 24,000 square feet. I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. I can't even begin to process it. I, I just, it, it's okay, I hear it, but I don't understand it. And the list could continue and the list of examples could continue. There are just many things in life that I know what's being said, but I don't understand how these things really are and how these things can be so. Now, as you think about that principle, this morning I want us to look at just a, a small portion of Scripture. We're going to look at, at a couple of portions this morning, but I want us to look there in verse uh, chapter 11 of Leviticus, verse number 44, and I want us to look toward the middle of the verse, and this is the Lord speaking. All right, Moses being the one who would have recorded this or, or, or written this. But, but we have the Lord speaking, and here's what he says in the middle of the verse. He says, For I am holy. For I am holy. Now, you may remember a couple of weeks ago we were in Exodus chapter 20, and the Lord just came right out and said with no apologies, with no kind of a veil over his statements, he just said, I am a jealous God. And so there was no question as to what he meant by that. Okay, he is a jealous God, and, and he's not one that takes kindly to relationships that are unfaithful or unloyal to him. And so again, here in verse number 44 of chapter 11, God simply makes this declaration of who he is, of his nature, of his character, of his being. He said, I am holy. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a word that I have been raised up with. It is a word that I have heard almost all my life, holy or holiness or the holiness of God. It's a word that many of us are familiar with, right? But I think sometimes we are so familiar with the word, but it does not mean that we really understand what the word means and, and we don't really understand all the thoughts behind it. So I looked it up this week and, and here is what the word holy means. It means to be set apart to be consecrated or to be sacred, and that's all fine and that's all good, but that doesn't really describe who God is whenever he says that he is a holy God. So I looked a little bit further as to what this word holy means, and so here's what it means from a spiritual standpoint. It means to be spiritually pure or to be pure in your quality. To be pure in your quality. So what does it mean to be pure in your quality? Well, it means this, to be free from all contaminants and or blemishes. For something to be holy, for something to be pure, then this is what has to be said of it, that it is free from all blemishes and that it would be free from all contaminants. Not just a portion of contaminants and blemishes, not a majority of them, but completely free 
from anything that would contaminate or anything that would serve as a blemish to the character or the integrity or the nature of the person or the, 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 the people being identified or considered. So here's what God said of himself. He said, I am holy, which means I am pure, which means I am free from all contaminants and anything that would blemish me as a person or as a being. Now, if you think about that, you may hear it and say, okay, it's what I expected to hear. If we're going to talk about who God is by way of holiness, we would expect to hear that he is free from contaminants and he is free from blemishes. We wouldn't expect to hear anything different, I don't suspect, in our service this morning. But if you think about that, think about the magnitude of that statement in relation to just a practical viewpoint of what that means. Think about the significance of that statement that God is holy, that God is pure, that God is free from all contaminants and anything that would serve as a blemish on his character or who he is as a person. Think about that from a practical standpoint. What does that mean and what would that look like? Well, to try to look at it from a human's perspective, we would have to say things like this. God has never once entertained an inappropriate thought. Not once has God ever entertained an inappropriate thought. There has never been a time, there has never been an occasion, there has never been even a second in his existence, in who he is, where he thought about something that did not need to be thought about. Now we can hear that, but let's be honest, we can't understand that. We cannot understand what it means to go through your entire existence and not think something that should not have been thought about. Now, why can you and I not fully understand that? Why can you and I not fully grasp that and process that? I'll tell you why we can't understand it and how we can't process it or why we can't process it. And the reason is very simple. It's because whenever we think about ourselves from an honest perspective, here is what we know the number of times we have thoughts that we know are not appropriate. Unless you're too self-righteous to admit such a thing. Okay. Think about this. I'm not trying to be weird or inappropriate here. I just want us to think about this. How many times, men especially, have we seen something that probably wasn't the, the best thing for us to see and it wasn't the most healthy thing for us to see? Has it ever happened to us? It's happened to us. And, and what's happened by way of us seeing something that we didn't need to see? We've had a thought cross through our mind that probably we didn't need to have, Right? Brother Kyle, let's not talk about that. Okay, you want to act like it doesn't exist? Let, let's not be ignorant about it. And let's not act like we're, we're too good for this. Most of us men, if we would be honest, we would have to say, you know, there have been some times and there have been some occasions where some little thoughts have come into our heads and we dwelled upon those thoughts. We, we gave attention to those thoughts more than we should have and it was inappropriate of us. Well, you know what that does? That takes away then from our holiness, obviously, but that is something that God has never struggled with one time. 
Probably at some point in our lives, we've had these inappropriate thoughts of anger. It's not all just lust and immorality. Have you ever been angry in your thought process, though you knew you couldn't express it externally with your words, and you just kept mulling it over, and you just kept going over it in your mind over and over and over again? Did you know that God has never struggled with that one time? That's an amazing thing, and it's something that you and I can't process. All right, so God has never had an inappropriate thought, and that is the result of Him being holiness. His holiness allows Him to, to exist in such a way that He does not struggle with His thought process, and we can't understand it because we know what our thought process consists of at times. Consider this for just a moment, that as a result of the holiness of God, as a result of His pure and uncontaminated and unblemished character. Think about this. He has never once, for lack of better words and how to describe this, he has never once said something that did not need to be said. He's never once spoken something and said, Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. He has never once said something and then said... I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Is that not an amazing thing to consider about who God is? As a result of Him being holy, and I know that we're not privy to all the conversations that would take place in heaven, but I'm just saying that as you think about God from a practical standpoint as to how we could relate to Him and identify with Him from us being a person, okay, there would never be a time in which he said something that didn't need to be said, and we can't process that for this reason, the number of times we have said things that we knew did not need to be said. The number of times that we have said something, and as soon as it came out of our mouths, we thought, oh man, why did I say that? To compare our nature to His nature, it's something we cannot process because God is holy. He is free from contamination. He is free from anything that would blemish Him. And, and we look at who we are and we say, my goodness, we are so far removed from that. The number of times we have had to apologize for things that we have said. The number of times we have needed to go to people and say, listen, that shouldn't have ever come out of my mouth. I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? That has never taken place with God because God is holy, God is pure, and God is free from contamination. Think about this. This may not be... Tremendously exciting, but I, I'm going somewhere with all this, so just stick with me. Think about this. God has never responded to a situation in a way that he should not have responded. And that's something, again, that we can't process. For what reason? Because if we're honest, we know the number of times we've been involved in a situation where we didn't respond in the best manner possible. 
you know, there, there have been times that certain things have happened and you responded and as a result of your response, you looked back on it and you said, ah, boy, I didn't handle that situation better. My response was not what it should have been. My response was not appropriate or very becoming as a Christian. See, we look at how God responds to situations throughout the Scripture and even in our personal lives. And here's what we're reminded of. Because of His holiness, there is never a time in which He would look back over the course of His interactions or His dealings with men and say something to this effect, man, I, I, I fouled up there. I messed that one up. No, that doesn't happen with God. And that's hard for us to process. Think about it like this. God has no regrets because of a holy, pure existence. Can you and I really grasp that? Can you and I really process that? Can you and I, I mean, besides hearing it and saying, okay, I understand the thought behind it, can you and I really process that in, in the way in which it's meant to be processed, that God has never had regrets? I think most of us would have a hard time processing it for this reason, because if, again, we're honest, we know the number of regrets we've had in our lifetimes. In the few short years that we've lived, the number of times that we would have to say, I regret this, and I regret this, and I regret not doing this. I regret having my family do this. I wish we had done things different here. I wish I'd behaved different here. Do you realize, if you think about it, the number of times we say, man, I'd do things different if I had a chance to do them all over again. That's never been the thought process of God. He has never looked back on any situation and thought, man, I would do it different if I had a chance. Why has God never had had a regret because God has never been anything but free from contamination and free from anything that would blemish him because God is absolutely completely pure because God is holy. That is who God is. So in the scripture we read that God is holy. He declares it in verse number 44. I am holy. That is who I am. He says the same thing in the last part of verse number 45. For I am holy. And this is the thought that you see repeated throughout the book of Leviticus and some into Deuteronomy. More than once, here is what God said of himself to his people. I am holy. I am pure. I am free from contaminants. I am free from that which would blemish. Never a misspoken word. Never an inappropriate thought. Never a wrong reaction. Never a regret. God has never dealt with any of that in his existence, in his being. Now, as you think about that, Again, maybe not the most thrilling thought right now. I, I want us to think about this. I want us to think about that with almost every occasion in which the holiness of God is declared by himself, you know what is also stated in almost every declaration of his holiness? A challenge is stated. Well, who would the challenge be stated to? Well, it would be stated or it would be given to the children of God. See, if you notice there in verse number 44, again, this is God speaking. He said, For I am the Lord your God. 
Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. So before he declares his holiness, what did he say? He said this, ye shall be holy. In verse number 45, he said, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So as God declares His holiness, as God declares His purity, as God declares His freedom from contamination and anything that would serve as a blemish to Him, He at the same time gives His children a challenge that what they are to strive for and what they are to look to achieve in their own personal lives would be this personal holiness. Personal holiness. Because I am holy, here is what I expect of you. I expect you to be holy. Now I'm just going to throw this in real quick and I want us to understand this and we'll talk about it more in just a moment. But holiness is a lost doctrine in many churches today. The idea of trying to live a holy life, the idea of trying to live a pure life, the idea of trying to live a life where the words are what they're supposed to be and and so on, the idea of preaching holiness, it is a doctrine that does not get a lot of attention anymore from the pulpits of churches today. And at the same time, In many churches where holiness is still preached, it's a cheap version of holiness. And it's a cheap representation of what holiness is thought to be. Now as you think about that, I said I'm just throwing that in real quick. I want us to get back to the scripture and we'll talk about that more in a moment. Again, with almost every declaration of the holiness of God given... There is a challenge to God's people that you, that I, that we, we are to be holy because the God who we serve, He is holy. Now, I know that you wouldn't do this, but there might be some who would say, listen, Pastor, you're in Leviticus. That's Old Testament. That's not New Testament. I understand that. So real quickly, turn over to 1 Peter. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I think most of us would agree that by now we're fairly deep into the New Testament. We are well past the law. We are well past the the things and the system that the Jews once lived in and lived under. And so here is Peter who was a mouthpiece for God. And who was he writing to? He was writing to believers. He was writing to children of God. And so he says in verse number 15, Be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. What is Peter doing? Well, Peter is obviously quoting references from the Old Testament, 
but he is giving them to believers in what we would call the New Testament era. Why? Because the challenge for the New Testament era and for New Testament saints is the same as it was in the Old Testament and those who were the children of God, that because we are the children of God, we are supposed to be holy like the one we serve. I don't know if that made sense. I don't know if that came out right. But, but why did Peter say what he said? Because nothing has changed from the Old Testament dispensation to the New Testament dispensation. There is still a call to God's people to be holy, to be pure, because the God that we serve, He is holy and He is pure. Now this is important. In verse number 15 he said, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in what? In all manner of conversation. In all manner of conversation. Now again, in so many pulpits and in so many churches across America today, holiness is not even a subject that is approached. It's not even something that is talked about. It's something that, that it's, again, not even dealt with for this reason. So many people don't even want to consider holiness to be essential to the Christian life. But the cheap version of holiness that is often found in our ranks is found with this somewhat as the basis of it or somehow or, or to some point the grounds of it, and that being this, that holiness is found and holiness is determined by what a person is externally rather than who they are internally and how that would manifest themselves or manifest itself externally. Just make sense? Maybe not. I don't know. But let's think about this. What is holiness? Well, holiness would be purity. A freedom from contamination. A freedom from that which would blemish. Okay? So I have been called to be holy just as you have been called to be holy. Every one of us have been called to be holy. But again, here's what has happened in our ranks. So many times, holiness has been determined by what a person is externally, and that being the only real measurement of whether or not a person is holy, or free from contaminants, or free from blemishes. Let's just break it down into terms that we can understand. If you dress right, you must therefore, by default, be holy. Well, what does it mean to dress right? Does it mean that you have to wear this? Does it mean that you have to wear this? Does it mean you can't wear this? Does it mean you can't wear that? So does it mean that if I line up with your rules and your line of thinking and, and your prescribed wardrobe, does that mean I'm then holy? Listen, that is not God's standard of holiness whatsoever. But in man's world, many times that has become the standard of holiness. And that's not what Scripture is talking about. That if you dress right, then therefore you are holy. No, friends, that does not involve every manner or all manner manners of conversation. Well, see, if you're going to be holy, here's what you'll not do. You'll not go to these places. 
Well, I understand that a Christian may not need to be in those places. I understand that a Christian may need to avoid certain locations and need to avoid certain associations. But friends, just because we don't go certain places and just because we don't frequent certain locations, that does not make us holy. But we have been told, many of us, for so many years, that if you'll dress this way, if you'll go here, if you don't go here, if you'll do this, if you'll say this, if you'll do that, do this, whatever it must be, then, friends, you are holy. And that could not be further from the truth, because holiness affects everything about us, not just who we are externally. I've witnessed this. You've probably witnessed this, some of you at least. Some of the meanest, some of the harshest, some of the most obnoxious individuals preach holiness, and their standard of holiness has been defined by the external and not who they are internally. Holiness affects so much more than what I am on the outside and what you are able to see from your perspective, the naked eye. See, when Peter said that we are to be holy in all manner of conversation, that means in every aspect of our lives, You know what the goal is supposed to be, and you know what the challenge is for us? Is that we would be pure in how we handle ourselves. See, if I serve a holy God, which I do, and the challenge to me then is to be holy, then you know what I have to do? I have to strive to be holy in my thought process. what I allow myself to think upon. See, this morning I can stand before you in a suit and tie and I can carry my black Bible and and I can look as though I've got everything squared away with my family. But if my thoughts are not right, if my thoughts are filled with lust, if my thoughts are filled with immorality, if my thoughts are filled with anger, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, whatever it must be, or whatever it might be, do you realize that though I may look good on the outside, if my thought process is not what it's supposed to be, I'm not holy as he is holy? It doesn't matter how good I look to the community. It doesn't matter how good I look to the family members. It doesn't matter how good I look to to someone who may be watching from the outside. Friends, if my thoughts are not right, I'm not holy as I've been called to be. And I cannot afford to be satisfied with some cheap version of holiness. It has to affect everything about me, starting with my thoughts, because my thoughts is what will determine my course of action. See, if I'm supposed to be holy, I've got to start with my thoughts Because here's what will happen. My thoughts will determine and dictate my words. 
You understand this? If I am mean, hateful, harsh, critical, profane, a gossip, whatever it may be that comes out of my mouth, do we realize it doesn't matter how good we look on the outside if those are the words spewing out of our mouths? Well, I'm holy. Why am I holy? Well, because I went to church this week and and I was there every time the doors were open and I I looked really good and and I sang really well and, and I did everything I was supposed to do with the church family, so therefore I'm holy. No, if you didn't control your tongue this week and whatever you wanted to express came out and you gave no thoughts as to how that represented your Christianity and your walk with God, friends, if your words were not what they were supposed to be, then holiness is not as it's supposed to be in your personal life when holiness really begins to affect all manner of conversation it affects what we think it affects how we speak and it affects how we respond and how we interact and how we deal with the people and the world that we're a part of I know you know this, but there are people who live one way at the house of God and they live a completely different way away from the house of God. At the house of God or around known people of God, they'll respond to a situation in this manner, but if they're with people who are not in the house of God or not known people of God, they'll respond in this manner, and they still feel as though there's a level of holiness in their life, though there is a great contrast between how they live in front of Christians and how they live in front of non-Christians. Friends, that's not holiness, because holiness affects who we are, whether we're with this group or we're with this group. Holiness isn't something you just put on and wear and do on certain occasions. Holiness dictates who we are every day in every situation. Striving to live a pure life helps us with our thoughts, it helps us with our words, it helps us with our responses, it helps us with our actions and our interactions with people so that we don't have regrets. That is what holiness does when it begins to affect us in the way that it ought. So I don't know if this makes sense, I don't know if the thoughts are tied together, I don't know if we can identify where all this is going, but I want us to see this. It begins in the book of Leviticus, and God says to his children, I am holy. That is who I am. Now again, our minds can't process all that, our minds can't understand all of that, because it stands in such contradiction to who we are, but yet God declared, I am holy. And because I am holy, here is what I expect of you. I expect you to be holy. In what areas of life? In all manner of conversation. How you think, how you speak, how you respond, how you interact, 
who you are in private, who you are away from everyone that would identify themselves as Christians. I expect your life to be pure because I am pure, because I am holy. Now this morning I know, okay, don't, don't get me wrong and, and, and don't, don't get overly concerned about this aspect of it. I know that you and I are sinful beings. I get that. I will never reach complete holiness, and you will never reach complete holiness. It's just not going to happen. But it's supposed to be the goal, and it's supposed to be what we're striving for. It's supposed to be what we're hoping to achieve in this life. And I want to remind us that it's not something, and I know I've said this before, but it's not something that will just accidentally happen. It's got to be something we're pursuing. And so this morning, as the message comes to a close, as we try to wrap the thoughts up, I want you to consider this question for yourself and for no one else. When it comes to true holiness, not man's version of holiness, not the church's standard of holiness, but when it comes to true holiness, that affects you internally, that affects who you are as an individual privately, when it comes to holiness, how much of an effort are we giving to true holiness? How much of an effort are we giving to say, God, I want to live a pure life before you. God, I want my thoughts to be right. God, I want my words to be right. God, I want my responses to be right. God, I want my interactions with mankind to be right. How much of a pursuit of holiness are we engaged in? Because it is so easy to say, oh, well, I do this, 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 and this, so therefore I must be holy, when that's not true holiness at all. I am holy, so therefore you, as children of God, be holy, the Scripture says. Are you pursuing holiness? Or is it something we like to talk about, maybe reference and address from time to time, but it's not anything we're really interested in living on a daily basis? Only you know that, but we need to be confronted with it and we need to be challenged with this thought. How much holiness am I pursuing? To what extent am I pursuing true holiness as God is holy, this one that I serve? Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. I pray that you'd help us to see that you are holy, just as your word declares. And God, I pray that you'd help us to see that over and over again, the challenge is given to your children, so that would be us, that because you are holy, we are supposed to strive for holiness. God, I pray that this would not be something we would dismiss. I pray that this would be something that we take serious, that we have been called to be holy in all manner of conversation. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren